We are, man, just thrilled about what the Lord is doing this morning and is going to continue to do. Uh, right now, I, I am going to just take a moment to, to try and wrap a series that we've been in that we've called Flawed. And in this series, we've been leaning into this truth that we are messed up. We are broken people with a bunch of issues. But ours is a God who loves to meet us even in our brokenness. And he uses us despite our uh, our issues despite our struggles, despite our flaws. And in order to embrace that truth a little more, we've been looking at different characters in the Bible that God used incredibly. And yet when you peer into their lives, you find that they were broken, messed up people just like us. And if he would use them, then he might just use us. And this morning, I want to spend some time getting to know a character in the New Testament by the name of Peter. Uh, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, uh, one of Jesus' uh, followers, a man of fierce faith, Peter. Um, as we look into bits and pieces of his story, you're going to see that this is a man of fierce faith, and yet he was also a man who failed fiercely and God used him still. So we're going to start, um, man, at the beginning uh, in Luke chapter five. If you have a copy of the Bible, you can turn there. We're going to have the verses up here on the screen. Uh, we're going to be jumping around. So uh, feel free to follow along in your Bible or up here on the screen. But we get introduced to Peter, this man of fierce faith from the very moment we are introduced to him. Um, one time, uh, he, he's doing what he does. Peter was a professional fisherman by trade. And uh, in his first encounter with Jesus, Peter is on the shore of the lake of Gennesaret. And uh, the context is he, he just finished a long night of fishing and came up empty, caught absolutely nothing. So I imagine his resting with that particular frustration and disappointment has to go home and tell his wife that he caught nothing um, and now he's on the edge of the lake and he is fixing the nets. It's something that they did after every fishing expedition. And uh, man, that means hauling the heavy nets onto the shore and, and then starting to pick out painstakingly, you know, fragments of bone or rock or stone um, that may have gotten caught in the nets. And then you start to sew and crochet or whatever to mend places where the net may have gotten torn so that next time you go fishing, the fish don't just sneak through the holes in the net. It was a painstaking thing that took hours. And so Peter's on the shore one morning and he's, you know, taking care of his nets and he's had a disappointing night out fishing. And then here comes Jesus. And uh, Jesus walks up to the shore and then just steps into the boat that belongs to Peter. Doesn't ask his permission or anything, which in my mind is trespassing. So Jesus trespasses onto Peter's boat and then says, Peter, hey, do you mind stopping what you're doing right now and give me a push? Because I want to talk to all of these people from your boat. Peter actually does it on that particular occasion, gives Jesus a little bit of a push. And then after Jesus is done teaching around noon... Jesus puts in quite a crazy request, if you ask me. Uh, check this out. We're going to jump down to Luke chapter 5, verse 4. And here's what it says. When he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon. Simon was Peter's birth name before Jesus changed it. He says, hey, let's go fishing. Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Verse 5, and you can almost hear him say, please no. 
Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And Jesus, to add to this, we just finished and almost packed up to go home. And now you're suggesting that we go out fishing. I'm guessing Peter is feeling like I'm a little bit tired. And also, it's noon. Noon. No one fishes at noon. In the Middle East, no one fishes at noon. It is blistering hot out there. The fish aren't eating at noon. They know better. They're at the deepest part of the lake trying to stay as cool as possible. I'm imagining Peter is saying, hey, listen, can I just tell you as a professional fisherman, this is not what we do. I appreciate you, Jesus, and how good you are teaching, but stay in your lane, bro. Like, let the professionals, we don't do this. Even the amateur fishermen know you do not fish at noon. We will be laughed at for years and years and years and years if we go out fishing at noon. Plus, we've tried it all night. If there were fish in this lake, we would have at least caught one. They are not up in here. And yet, look at Peter's response. A man of fierce faith. The second part of verse 5. But because you say so. I will let down the nets. I don't want to, but because you say, I'm tired, but because you, this doesn't work, but we've tried everything, but because you say so. Fierce faith. Somehow on that beach in this first encounter, Peter has some sense of who Jesus is and leans in with faith. He realizes this is not just some stranger. He is the master and refers to him that way. And if the master says do, then because you say so, we are going to do this thing. Paul would later on write these words about Jesus in this epic section of scripture, Colossians chapter 1. For in him, Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, this Jesus, and in him all things hold together. And it's almost as if Peter has a glimpse. He has a small sense of that. And I can imagine Peter reasoning in his mind that, yeah, actually, technically speaking, That right there is his boat sitting on his shore at the edge of his lake. He made it all. And if he asks me to give him a push, then I'm going to use these buff fisherman arms that he made and push him into the water. And if he says we are going fishing, then we are going fishing even at noon. This is an expression of a fierce faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Pretty awesome. And man, I read this and I, I just, I wonder if there's anyone in this house this morning who has that kind of fierce faith. But because you say so, I have worked on this marriage and it ain't working, but because you say so. Jesus, all the other kids at school think it's perfectly fine to experiment with their bodies this way. And they will laugh at me if I don't go along. But because you 
say so. I wonder if there's any fierce faith in the room this morning. It doesn't make sense, but because you say so. It doesn't feel comfortable, but because you say so. By the way, in case you're wondering what this fierce faith ended up seeing, Peter and his boys, they catch so much fish that their nets begin to break. After all the crocheting and fixing that they did, nets begin to break and their boats begin to sink. And I can imagine Jesus is like, yeah, I own the lake and I own the fish. And when I say jump, the fish say into which net? And they happened to jump into yours. After this encounter, Peter leaves his fishing equipment and he leaves his fishing career, mind you, on the most lucrative day of his life. And he follows Jesus. And his journey and friendship with Jesus would be marked by fierce faith. And man, what we could learn from Peter. There was this other time where Jesus um, sent his disciples ahead of him on a boat across uh, a, a lake. And then he stayed on shore. And uh, while the disciples were going across the lake, in the middle of the night, a fierce storm came. Massive storm um, came onto that lake. And they were caught. And they're straining, trying to stay um, afloat, trying to keep from sinking. Jesus sees them um, from on land. And so Jesus does what one might naturally do. He walks on water towards them. I'm just telling you, we are spoiled in the church because we've heard these stories so many times. We lose our sense of awe. Jesus walked on the water. Hey, there's a tub up here. Feel free to come up after the service. Give it a shot. Jesus walks on this lake towards his um, disciples. This is a pretty um, incredible scene. I don't know who does that, but Jesus apparently does that. Because again, when you've created all things and all things are for you, you can tell the lake what to do. Hey, I need to walk uh, on you, so please hold me up. And anyway, Jesus walks over to his friends. Matthew chapter 14 verse 25. Here's what it says. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, just walking on the lake. Uh, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. I love how real the Bible is. Ah, it's a ghost. And they're absolutely terrified. Now, to be honest, I get this. There are a few passages in in, in the Bible that I'm like, yeah, I kind of get that. Makes sense to me. I mean, if you're flying in an airplane and you start to experience some turbulence and you look out the window and there's some dude just walking outside. Come on, name that feeling, right? You would be freaking out, which is exactly what the disciples are doing. They're having a moment where they're absolutely freaking out on account of the fact that someone is walking on water towards them. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I don't be afraid. I would right now be throwing up over the edge of the boat uh, a little bit, just freaking out. I thought we are going to die. Thank the good you that it's, that it's you. Because I thought we are going to get haunted to death. Or whatever it is, we're scared of ghosts. I don't know what we think ghosts are going to do. But I, I would be freaking out. And that's exactly what's happening. Everyone is 
panicking, and then sitting in the corner of the boat is Peter. Just dances to a different tune, a fierce faith tune. Verse 28 of chapter 14. Mm, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. What? In the middle of this terrifying situation, Peter's like, ooh, 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 me, me, me. I want to try. I want to try. Who thinks that? How is that even a thought? But that's fierce faith. It believes Jesus for what no one else even thinks to ask. That's fierce faith. It believes if Jesus says the word, impossibility is obligated to do what Jesus says. I don't think there are any fish in this lake, but because you said the word, fierce faith. I don't think people can walk on water, but if you say the word, if you tell me to come, the laws of physics have to cooperate with you. And I'll be doing the running man up on this thing. Because of your word. Come on, please, Jesus. Remember that one time I took you fishing on, on the lake. Would you please take me walking on the lake right now? This fierce face that puts its weight on the words of Jesus. And if we had time, we would talk about the fact that all of us have fierce faith in something. We all put the weight Of our world on something. The opinion of people. The economic situation. The political atmosphere. For Peter. He put the weight of his world. On the word of Jesus. If you say. This is going to happen. Jesus loves that fierce faith. And he gives one word. Verse 29. Come. He said. Oh man. I I love the Bible. I read this. And I'm like. Oh man. What would I do? What would you do? Jesus says, come on then. It takes fierce faith to ask Jesus to walk on the lake. It's an entire, entirely different level to actually get out of the boat and try it. Because for so many of us, I honestly... I, I think there are lakes of impossibilities that we could be walking on right now. Because Jesus has said, okay, come on. Because he's actually said yes to maybe some crazy things that we have asked and believed him for. But then he says, all right, come get it then. You're going to have to get out of that place where it's comfortable and that place where it's safe. And see just how strong my word is. And for many of us, I wonder if we get to this place, we're like, ooh. Mm. Yeah, that sounded better in the boat. Mm. It sounded better when there was no risk involved. It sounded better when there was no cost. It sounded better when there was no possibility of failure. Then it sounded like a good idea. And Jesus says, yeah, come on. Yeah, I know how you, you, you want that healing, but you're not willing to get out of the boat of unforgiveness. Come on. 
I mean, you're believing for your grandpa, but you're not willing to tell him what it is I've been doing in your life. Jesus says, come on. Come on, Peter. I mean, you want freedom from, from that addiction, but you won't get out of the boat of secrecy and hiding and lies. Come on, come get it. Come get it. You want unspeakable joy, but you won't get out of the boat of those toxic friendships that you know are actually sinking your boat. I wonder for, for many of us, if Jesus isn't giving us the invitation for that impossible thing that you can't see a path towards, if we would simply, come on. I think the church is full of too many of us talking about how we want to walk on water And Jesus is saying, take me at my word. Come on then. But Peter's faith was fierce, man. It didn't just talk about it. He walked on it. Second part of verse 29. Then Peter actually got down out of the boat. If I was watching this, I'd be like, there's no way he's actually going to do. No, there he goes. And he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. And Peter, in that moment, experienced something no other human in history has experienced. He got to walk on water. It wasn't for a mile, but he did it. He got to experience this thing. And I, I want my life to be like Peter's in that regard. I don't want to go out talking about all of the things I could have done if I was only willing to put feet to, to faith and go along with Jesus' invitation. That was Peter, a man marked by fierce faith, the faith that Jesus would use in powerful ways. Yeah, but Peter's story is also marked by fierce failure. Uh, There was this one time, uh, the night before Jesus was uh, crucified on the cross. And Jesus was talking to his followers and he was telling them how they would all abandon him. They would all bail out on him when the soldiers took him away. And Peter interrupts Jesus. Whoa, 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 no way. That's not happening. Now, these jokers, they may abandon you. They didn't even get out of the boat, Jesus, but not me. I got you. Verse 31, Matthew chapter 26. Um, We'll, again, follow along up here. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, "Uh uh-uh. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you would disown me three times. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said, Yep, what he said. And it's here that Peter, a man of fierce faith, would fail fiercely. 
the man of God, he would fail so badly that he would be convinced Jesus was done with him. I don't know if you've ever been there. I will never deny you, Jesus. I will never deny you, he says. Flash forward a few hours. Verse 69 says, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. Huh. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, Willis, he said. Verse 71. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, yeah, this guy, he was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I swear, I don't know the man. Verse 73, after a little while, those standing there were, went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent kind of gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them. Not at them, he swore to them. But he's calling down curses. May heaven curse me and may hell and and my nana and and, and the grave and all of that. He's just calling curses on himself. I swear I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times and he went outside and wept bitterly one of the people closest to peter in the world and peter straight up pretends they've never gone fishing or lake walking together i don't know him ouch aren't you married Mm, i don't know what you're talking about not on my business trips, I'm not. Ouch. Aren't those your kids on Facebook? Kids? No, no, no. Nieces and nephews. Um, I can take this job and I can travel. I have no obligations. Mom. Ouch. Just completely distances and disassociates from his relationship with his friend, Jesus. Isn't that your friend? No, no, we just hang out at youth group, but not in the real world. Ouch. Aren't you a Christian? Well, I mean, Christians don't have the greatest of reputations these days, so uh, no one at work has a clue. And, and no one at school has a clue that I follow Jesus Christ at all. I, mean, I don't deny him. I just never acknowledge him. Peter has denied his friend, and he is undone. But more than the friendship, I wonder if Peter remembers what Jesus said, recorded in Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Jesus said, if anyone, and these are words the church needs to hear and believe, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, then I, the Son of Man, will be ashamed of them When I come in my father's glory with the holy angels. I wonder if Peter believes, yeah, I messed up personally. I messed up in our relationship. I messed up spiritually. He is done with 
me. But I want to pause and just ask, do the people in your world know that you and Jesus are friends? Do the people in your world know that you follow Jesus or would they be surprised? Peter believes Jesus is done. In fact, if you read the end of the book of John, do you know what Peter's doing? Fishing. Wait, I thought Peter was done fishing. Yeah, but I wonder if Peter isn't so convinced that he has messed up so badly that Jesus is done with him and he goes back to the thing that he was doing before. Fishing. I wonder if he's not convinced Jesus is done and so he writes himself off. The great Peter messes up so badly. And oh, I'm not talking about when he denied Jesus. That's not what I'm talking. I don't think that was Peter's great flaw. I don't think that was Peter's great failure. I don't think Peter's great flaw was what he said to that servant girl. I think Peter's great flaw was actually what he said to the servant king, Jesus himself. I think Peter's great flaw was not his denial of Jesus. I think his great flaw was his pride. I think Peter messed up just like so many of us mess up in the church with the fatal words, I would never. No, never. Peter's problem was his pride, his belief that he was better than all of these other jokers, all of these other disciples, and was too good to ever mess up in that way. I would never do that. His denial of Jesus just proved his pride. Otherwise, Peter would have lived the rest of his life believing that there were certain kinds of sins he was better than and would never commit. And the denial just humbled him a little bit. I would never. And I'm just asking, aren't we all Peter if we're honest here in the house of the Lord today? We all have a list of sins we would never commit. We cannot understand How those people in jail or those people on the other side of the political line or those people on... How could they do that? I would never do that. Those leftists, those hyper-conservatives, I would never do that. I would never hurt my child. Never. I would never leave my marriage, ever. I cannot understand anyone who would. I swear I will never be addicted to prescription drugs, ever. Adultery, I would never have an abortion. Do you know what I believe about the pro-life movement? I would never cheat in school, never. Send those pictures, never. I would never, I swear, it made the heavens... Peter's fatal flaw was the same fatal flaw that marked so many of us in the church. It was his pride, his belief that somehow I've walked on water and I've caught a bunch of fish with Jesus. I would never do that. And I'm just wondering, what's your never? 
Because I'm telling you, if there's a sin you believe you could never commit, you are snuggling with pride. Doesn't matter how much it may gross you out right now. Peter said, I would rather die than do that. And a few hours later, he had done it. He never foresaw the circumstances that would come into his life and put him in a situation he never imagined when he stood and made this bold statement, I would never, and yet here he is. And if you ask me a gift for Peter, because pride is one of the flaws in us that is the hardest to expose because even as I talk about it, pride thinks about the other people and what they may be getting out of this. Because surely it's not, not talking about me. I come to church, but I don't need it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10, But by the grace of God... I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. I came to beg the church to embrace this phrase. But for the grace of God. If not for the grace of God, I would be able and capable of doing anything. But For the grace of God. I would be locked up right now. But for the grace of God. I would have hurt somebody in my house right now. But for the grace of God. I believe this is where Jesus wants to meet so many of us in the church. The secret flaw in the church. The the, the, the flaw of pride. The flaw that believes we are better than other people and we could never do this. And he wants his spirit to sweep in and just cause us to say, if not for the grace of God, who knows where I would be? Who knows what I would do? But for the grace of God. Now to him who is able to keep us from falling. But by the grace of God. And I'm praying the spirit will do something in us. Because this is the hardest of the flaws to get at. It's pride. It's the one we need the most. The the, the most. And yet it's the one we acknowledge the least. But I also came to talk to the Peters in the room who are living on the other side of never. Thing you never thought you would do, you did. The thing you never thought your family would experience, y'all are experiencing it, it happened. The thing you never saw coming, it showed up. And if you're honest, you may be in church, but you believe you are now relegated to a second class life. Jesus is done with you. Fast forward about a week, Peter is fishing and, and guess who shows up to see him? Um, on the shore. Jesus apparently loved meeting Peter on the shore. Yeah, Jesus has gone to the cross and has died and has paid for sin and is risen from the grave. And he comes to see Peter and some of the disciples at their fishing gig. And a bunch of them sit there on the beach and they have a fish fry for breakfast. And then verse 15 of chapter 21, this is John chapter 21. 
when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you, Jesus. Um, Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me for real? Of course. Then do my work. And then he uses a different word the third time he asks him about love. He says, Peter, are we friends? You know everything. You know we're friends. Yes, we're friends. Then lead my people. And Peter's hurt because Jesus keeps asking the same question over and over again. Like, Jesus, don't you believe me? I can imagine Jesus saying, oh, no, no, I'm not asking for me. I'm actually asking for you. Because I went to the cross to demonstrate my love for you. And I went to the cross to remove every obstacle and every failure that could possibly stand between us. I went to the cross to make fierce forgiveness possible for you. The only question left is, hey, are we friends? I've done my part and I've made things right. Are you willing to? Are we friends? I love this, and I love that Jesus asks Peter the question three times. One for every time that Peter denied him. So that when that shifty devil comes to remind you of what you did, you can remind him of this moment right here where we reestablished our friendship, and I told you we have work to do together. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Are we friends? Yes, we're friends. Then let's get to work. There is no longer any such thing as a second class life for you. I have purpose for you. And you are going to lead this movement called my church. You are going to preach at the first revival service. I'm not done with you. I took care of all the obstacles on the cross. Your pride and your denial. Are we friends? And I just came to talk to somebody who's maybe messed up and you've done that never thing and you believe Jesus is done with me. There's no way he can use me. I'm saying he has taken care of everything that stood between you on the cross. The only question left is, want to be friends? The only question left is, are you willing to embrace his fierce forgiveness? Do you know how fierce his forgiveness is? You name that thing that you never thought you would do, and his forgiveness is more fierce than that failure. You name whatever you thought your future can no longer hold, and his forgiveness is more fierce than your failed future. The only question is, are you willing to embrace his incredible forgiveness? That's the question. And this morning, we we get to celebrate in this service uh, four baptisms. These are individuals who have embraced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. 
Um, They're getting up here to make the declaration that Jesus has forgiven me and I embrace his forgiveness fully. The question is, have you embraced it? 